welcome. This is a message from Victory Church. We trust you'll be inspired and encouraged by today's message. How are you all? It's good to see you here tonight. It's always a privilege to share the Word of God with you. And as Mick has already said, we are going to continue our series, Rebels, Riots and Revolutions. And no, it's not a series about the English Premier League. It's actually an overview of the book of Acts. Thank you very much. We're doing just a quick overview of the book of Acts and the main themes. Now, to start off tonight, I just thought it would be good to give you some facts about the book of Acts. Some facts on Acts. How's that? Firstly, Acts was written by Luke, and it's a sequel to his gospel. He was an eyewitness to much of what he wrote in his book. He was also a friend and companion of the Apostle Paul. Paul refers to him as his beloved physician, hence Luke was a doctor. Luke's main purpose for writing Acts was to provide an accurate account, and this is crucial, of the birth and the growth of the Christian church. So it's an accurate account of the birth and the growth of the Christian church. It actually covers the first 30 to 35 years of the history of the church, beginning with the year of Christ's death in 30 AD and ending in about 62 AD. It is the 44th book of the Bible. It's the fifth book in the New Testament and the only book of history in the New Testament. So there you go. Hope you remember all that because you will be tested later on. Now tonight, we are going to continue. I will be doing the fourth part of this series. And so, so far, we've seen when Jesus was taken up to heaven in the first part. Well, we didn't see it literally, but uh, we were told about it. Um, in the second part, Pete did a great job in uh, telling us how his apostles went from wimps to world changers because of the power of the Holy Spirit. And this morning, again, Pete did a brilliant job in uh, talking about how they went from being rebels to being rebels with a course. I hope you guys went out today and got rebellious, but with a course. And tonight, we're going to continue the theme of rebels, and I'm calling my message tonight, Rebels Under Fire. Rebels Under Fire. Now, so far in the account, everything had been going really well for the rebels, for the apostles, hey? That received the power of the Holy Spirit, that received the gift from above, the promise of the Holy Spirit. People were being added to their number daily. People were being saved. They performed miraculous healings and powers and signs and wonders. Everything was going great. They enjoyed great fellowship. Everything was going good. It was good to be a Christian. It was fun. Everything was going fantastic. Peter and John, in chapter 3, they were on their way to pray one day. And as the song goes, who knows the song? Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. Anyone know that song? No? It's a kiddie song. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. No? Okay, forget it. Well, they did. Peter and John went to pray. Thank you. Yes, uh, leave me on. I'll stop singing. Peter and John went to pray. They met a lame man on the way. And what did they do? Did they get all grossed out and go, ooh, get away from me, unclean thing? No. Did they look at him and say, why don't you get a real job? You horrible, dull blood, you. No. Did they go, well, I do feel sorry for you, you little lame man, but uh, we've got a prayer meeting together to say, you know, all the best with that. Did they do that? Do you know what happened? They looked at him and said, well, you want to be healed? We're going to heal you. In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. 
And they did that because they were filled with power. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. They were filled with faith and with hope. And they gave him Jesus. They gave him a healing. And this man went walking and leaping and praising God. It was good to be a Christian back then. Everything was going well. Now, what do you think that the apostles got for that? They didn't get many rewards for that. They didn't get many accolades from people or from God. They didn't get a bunch of roses. They didn't get any thank you cards for it. Let me tell you what they got. Prison. They got put in jail for it, for doing a good thing. Has that ever happened to anybody here? You're trying to do a good thing. You're trying to do the right thing. And uh, I tell you what, everything goes bad and you get a backlash. Anybody? It happens to me all the time. But because uh, I'm, I'm usually doing the wrong thing, but that's doesn't matter. That's, that's irrelevant. But the other day, I was trying to really have a good day, I was trying to obey and enjoy God. And I was singing the car really loud. The window was down, and uh, it's a bit of a naughty song. But you know that song you can leave your hat on. <laughs> Something got the better of me, and I started singing it at the top of my voice, with the window down, slowing down. And there's a part in the song where it goes, "Well, I know what love is." As I was doing that, a car packed with young girls pulled up next to me. And I was still in the zone. I didn't even realize. And I said it. Well, I know what love is. And I, then I just realized I'm still singing this song, aren't I? And I'm doing this. Oh, dear. And they looked at me, and I got a little bit persecuted for that. I tell you, I copped a little bit of uh, fire from those people. But I was just trying to do the right thing. I was trying to enjoy my day and sing, so be careful when you sing that song. Now, something similar happened to the apostles. They were trying to do a good thing. Maybe not as good as I did, but they were trying to do a good thing. And they got nothing but persecution for it. And that's what I want to share on tonight. I want to look at a few verses of Scripture tonight which show us how they responded to this persecution. I think it's vitally important that we know because I think most of us have experienced some persecution at some stage in our lives for our faith, for our morals, for our beliefs, for whatever it may be. You know? And I'm talking about real persecution. Persecution that we deserve for doing the right thing, not for doing the wrong thing. I mean, not for being a silly Bible basher. If you get persecuted for that, then you deserve it. Okay? You can't cry, oh, I'm being persecuted. Now, you can't punch yourself in the eye and call yourself Job. It's not, it doesn't work like that. I'm talking about real, real persecution that you actually deserve for doing the right thing. Now, we're going to be reading from verses 8 to 14. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to it. If not, it will be up in the screen. Acts 4 to 14 say, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called into account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, 
they were astonished and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. I think this verse contains some really good things that we can learn from about how to respond in the face of persecution. When us as rebels, as we were encouraged to be this morning, to be rebels, and we get fire thrown at us. So the first thing that I can see here that I believe is important that Peter does is bring perspective. You as a rebel under fire, need to bring perspective into the situation. Let's have a look at what Peter does at the start. It says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we were being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame, then know this. Peter confronts his persecution by bringing perspective. He makes them see what is really going on. He doesn't fall for their games. He doesn't fall for their lies. He doesn't fall for their traps. He actually highlights their hypocrisy and say, well, hang on, this is what we've done. We actually showed an act of kindness. We healed this lame man. Now, if you're going to persecute us for that, so be it. But this is what we've done. He actually highlights what they did and says, well, we healed this man. Kill us for it. I mean, how bad is it that we healed this man? So that's what we need to do as well. We need to bring right perspective into our situations. It's like children, when you get given a hard time at school for, uh, for going to church, bring perspective into your situation. Just say something along the lines of, uh, I don't know. Um, so you're giving me a hard time because I go to a place where I have good friends and I receive good teaching and I get skill for life. If that's, if that's the case, then so be it. Persecute me for it. Bring perspective. When people give you a hard time for maybe believing in God, just do what Peter does and bring perspective. Just say, well, so you're giving me a hard time because I believe that there's a maker who loves me, who's for me, and who has good things for me, then so be it. Persecute me. You're going to bring me to account for that? So be it. Bring perspective. Bring clarity. Bring truth. Let them see what they're actually really giving you a hard time about. When you have colleagues who say to you, oh, you know, why do you give so much time? Why do you give so much money to that church of yours? So, okay, hang on. You're bringing me into account. You're giving me a hard time for giving to a place that actually transforms people's lives and impacts communities. If that's what you're doing, then so be it. Do do what Peter did here. You're bringing me to account because we healed somebody because of an act of mercy. Fine, go for it. What we need to do in response to persecution when we are under fire is this first thing that Peter does here and actually bring perspective. Take a step back and bring real perspective into the situation. I know that a a little while ago, I gave up a bit of my time to volunteer to the church and my colleagues gave me a hard time about it. They say, you're giving up all this stuff and uh, you know, for what? What are you getting in return? You know, you're crazy. And I said, well, if obeying what I believe God is asking me to do right now is crazy, then I'm crazy. Call me silly. Whatever it may be. You know, bring perspective. Put it into perspective. Let them know. So the next time you're facing persecution, you may be facing persecution right now from family, from loved ones, from friends, from neighbors, from colleagues. I don't know. Put it into perspective. Do what Peter did and really summarize what's going on and say, okay, this is what you're actually giving me a hard time about. Are you really comfortable with it? It's a great way to respond to enemy fire when we are being rebellious for God. The first thing we need to do, like Peter did, is bring clear and right perspective. Something else that I see that happens here that Peter does is he brings focus. 
He brings the right focus. Don't forget, we're looking at how we should respond in the face of persecution. First perspective, and I believe that he does something really even better here. He brings focus. Acts 4.10 goes on to tell us this. It is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is a stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Peter confronts his persecution by bringing the right focus. He shifts the focus off himself and puts it on Jesus. He takes the focus off himself. He doesn't get involved in a fight or an argument. He doesn't get involved in making it personal or making it about some, some sort of argument that he needs to win and prove the other person wrong. He shifts the focus of himself. He doesn't feel like he has to win the argument and places it squarely on the one who it's all about, Jesus. He says, it's because of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. It's not because we've got any power of our own or any godliness of our own. It's not because of us. It is because of the name of Jesus Christ that this man stands before you healed. He takes the focus of himself. I think that when we get under persecution, and some of you may be there right now, take the focus of yourselves, take the focus of your arguments, take the focus of you trying to prove yourself right over other people, stop trying to win the argument and actually shift the focus off the argument onto God, onto Jesus himself. It's a great response. It's going to help us when we get persecuted. We need to do the same that Peter did. We need to bring the right focus into our situations. Um, I saw an interview with Rick Warren. Some of you may know who he is. And uh, I love what he said. He's a guy who wrote a lot of books about Christianity. And uh, I love what he says about hell. He thinks that hell is a doctrine that, although he fully believes in, he finds very uncomfortable to witness about. And when people give him a hard time about it, uh, this is what he does. And I think it's brilliant advice. And it goes along these lines. He says, look, don't try to win the argument. Just take the focus off yourself Take the focus off the discussion and say, well, it's actually what Jesus taught. Put the focus on Jesus. Blame Jesus. Put it back on Jesus. He was the one who actually thought of it. It's actually his teaching. So put it on Jesus. Don't make it about yourself. Say, well, look, I do believe in hell, but not because I think I'm better than you. And not because I think that, you know, I'm I'm so much more godly. I believe in hell because Jesus taught on hell. Take the focus off yourself and place it back on Jesus. With all the other dicey little doctrines, all the things that we believe, uh, when it comes to things like gay marriage, when it comes to abortion or whatever, you may cop a bit of flack for it at university, at school, or in other places. Don't make it about you trying to be right. And don't make it about all the facts and figures. I don't know, you may be really knowledgeable when it comes to things like abortion and things like that. I don't know, you may have a great philosophy. But I tell you, for every fact and figure that you come up with, those who are pro it are going to have another one. And it just becomes like an endless argument about, well, the right of life, the right to choose. You know, I don't know. Just say, look, I believe this is my stance on gay marriage. This is my stance on abortion because I have a biblical worldview. Because the Bible teaches it. That's why I believe it. And then when I get into an argument about the Bible, that's something else altogether. Okay, they're losing focus. But a great way to justify, to explain our beliefs, is to take the focus off ourselves and place it back on what we believe, on the Word of God, on God Himself. 
That's what Peter does so well here. And I think that's what we need to do as well. We need to be a people who bring the right focus in the middle of our persecution. And the focus should always be God. Should always be Jesus. Should always be the Word of God. Just say, look, I, this is what I believe in. This is, this is my stance. This is what I put my faith in. This is what I put my trust in. That's why I believe what I believe. That's what Peter did here. In response to the persecution, he said, well, it's it because of Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. Then if they have a problem with it, they no longer have a problem with it because of you. They have a problem with it because of Jesus. And let them and Jesus work it out. And I'm sure that they will. So bring focus into whatever persecution you're facing and you're going to go a long, long way. Something else that uh, Peter brings here, and this is crucial, sounds simple, but um, it's, it's vitally important, bring courage. You've got to stand up. When you do everything else, when you've done all the praying, when you follow the apostles' examples, you need a time where you actually just get in the front foot and get courageous about your faith and get courageous. I tell you, the best defense is offense. You've got to just get in there. You can't... You, you can't be wimpish about your faith and expect the persecution to subside. You've got, there's, there's a moment when you've got to stick your chest out and say, well, these are my convictions and I am not moving. So bring courage because that courage and conviction speaks to people more than anything else. It will speak more to people than your ideas, your thoughts, your clever words, your theology. Those things are important. Don't dismiss them, but I tell you, your courage, the strength of your conviction, you being able to look at someone in the eye and say, this is what I believe. That is going to speak volumes to people. That's what transforms people. That's what actually influences people. And we see it here with Peter as well. Reading from verse 13, we see that when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. But I love the way it starts, when they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled. Courage and conviction speaks. Say it proudly, say it boldly, be strong, go on the front foot, do what Peter did. He didn't get intimidated, he didn't go on the back foot, he didn't lose his conviction, he didn't lose his faith. He remained a Christian in the middle of the persecution and stood up with courage and said it's because of Jesus that this has happened. Bring courage, bring courage into whatever situation you are being faced with. And I tell you, that's what's going to make the difference in people's lives. And I love what it says here about the courage that they got. You don't have to be schooled. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be super spiritual. I love the answer here. If you want courage, if you feel like you lack courage to witness, if you feel like you're lacking courage right now to face that persecution that's coming your way, the answer's here. Listen to what I said. They took note that they had been with Jesus. That's how you get courage. That's how you get courageous. Yes, study. I love studying. I'm my wife would tell you that, that I just love reading and studying. I'm, I'm, I'm a geek like that. I love it. But I tell you, that's not enough. I like prayer. I like praying. But that's not enough. I love fellowship. But that's not enough. Fellowship with Jesus is what's going to give you the courage that you need on the day, at the moment, whatever the situation may be. You want courage? 
You want conviction? Spend time with Jesus. Fellowship with Jesus, and that's what's going to give you the experience that you require. It's when you argue out of your experience. It's when you talk about your life. That's what really convinces people. That's what changes people's minds. When you've been time, spend time with Jesus, you fellowship with Jesus, your life has been changed, and you use your life as a witness. Use your life as a tool. That's what's going to um, speak to people. Smith Wigglesworth once said, A person with experience is never at the mercy of a person with an argument. Your experience is going to speak volumes to people. I had an amazing experience just this week. Um, I was actually preparing for this uh, message, and I got a bit stuck, and so I just left it. It was late in the afternoon, and I thought, I'll go kick the footy with my son. went to the park. And um, we're there kicking the footy, having, having fun, and I saw these two Mormons walking into the park. And I just went, oh, here we go. Oh, God, I don't want to get into this now. I don't want to get into an argument. I don't want to get... Because I have lacked a little bit of grace in the past with Mormons and people from other religions. Um, and I know how I can react with them. And I thought, I, I don't want to do that. And I definitely... I, I can't, I'm brain dead right now. I tell you what, if I got into an argument with them right now, that'd kill me. That'd walk all over me because I'm just so tired. I'm not thinking. When I stopped complaining about these two Mormons that were walking my way... Um, I really felt God say to me, just, just learn from these guys. Just learn from them. Don't say anything, just learn. And I went, okay, fine. So I kept kicking the footy, and they were really clever. They were really good. They were watching me and my son play footy. And so I thought, okay, I'm going to learn from these guys. I'm going to watch what they do. I'm going to see what point of connection they, they make. I'm going to see what they do. It's really cool. So one of them comes up. I won't do an American accent. Uh, he said, hey, you know, I've been here for only a couple of weeks, and I love the way you guys kick that football. Would you be able to show me how you kick the football? Can you teach me? Because I'm from America. I'm only here for two, you know, I've only been here for two weeks, and I want to learn how to kick the football. And I thought, that's very clever. That's <laughs> very clever. I'm thinking, that's good. I'll make a note of that. Nice, nice. Nice little tactic. And so I, show, I can't even kick the football myself. So you know, he sort of learned it, and, you know, and, we, and we talked. And uh, he goes, yeah, no, I've only been here for two weeks because I'm here on a mission. I thought, oh, okay, here we go. And he goes, have you heard of us? We're from the Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And then he brought it in. And I tell you, this lad, he was 21, 22, but I tell you, this lad was full of conviction, full of courage, because who he had been with. Now, I don't know exactly who he had been with, but I tell you, <laughs> this, this guy, he knew what he was talking about. He knew what he was into. I thought, I'm just going to challenge him. I'm just going to ask him questions. I didn't say, well, yes, you're speaking to a leader in the Christian church, and uh, you know, this is my, my theology. No, I, I just asked him, so what do you think, what's, what's your doctrine of the Holy Spirit? And bang, he just got bam, bam, bang, this and that and that. And, oh, okay, what about the Word of God? And he had facts and statistics and ideas. And I thought, I haven't had a conversation like that so challenging for a really long time. This is brilliant. So I asked him all these questions. He had an answer. He was prepared for everything. I tell you, I knew what this guy had done. This guy had been preparing for this moment. He had been preparing for mission. I th- it shows. Where you've been shows. Tell you what, you want to face up to persecution, whatever the level of persecution may be, it's going to show who you've been with and where you've been. Now, he believes, he, he tells me he believes in Jesus. I asked him, that was my first question, well, who do you think Jesus is? You know, what do you think of Jesus? Do you, do you love Jesus? Do you believe in him? And uh, he said he did. He started talking about Jesus, and I thought, well, you know, m- maybe he does. And uh, in, his, in his thinking, his idea, he's been with him, and I could see, I could tell. Now, these guys need Jesus. They need to be with Jesus because of the persecution 
persecution that they face. I mean, imagine going door to door and getting the door slammed on your face every day of your life. You know, and I tell you, I was challenged by these guys in many, many levels. It's almost, I won't say a life-changing experience, but it has really affected me in many ways. Because I just thought, you know, we may pay them out, but, you know, we might laugh at them because of their funny suits and all that. But tell you, take those silly suits off and they were great company. They were dudes. They showed me how to, how to throw the football, you know, gridiron way. You know, they 80 yards, just bang, you know. And uh, they were funny they, and, and they knew their theology. They were amazing guys. And the biggest challenge that I got was this. I've been to that park a million times. I've seen a million people playing in that park. And I've never thought hmm, I wonder how I can get involved in their world right now so I can go and share Jesus with them. I have never done that. And man, I feel convicted. But the reason why they did it, the reason why they do that is because they know who they've been with. They know what they're there for. It is crucially important. They were young. They were early 20s. They wouldn't have a university degree. They don't have a great, world, uh, a great level of uh, worldly wisdom. That would you, and and that's, the, that's the thing. You don't have to be wise. You don't have to be knowledgeable. You don't need theology degrees. You just need to be with Jesus. And that will give you the courage, that will give you the perspective that you need to face up to any persecution that comes your way. So bring courage. And the way to do it is to actually be with Jesus. And uh, the last one that I want to bring tonight, um, which is, again, very simple, We've spoken about how the, um, uh, uh, Peter responded by bringing perspective. He brought focus. He brought courage. And this is probably the most important one of all. He brought prayer. He prayed. Let's have a look at the prayer that they prayed. Uh, this prayer, to me, is just absolutely unbelievable. I mean, these guys had just been threatened with death. They just come out of jail. I tell you what, they, they, had, they were facing their death and they were facing a horrible death. They were facing the backlash of the authorities and of the wisest people. And so they get together and they start praying, but I love what they do. They don't pray that, you know, the, the people who are after them, their hearts may be softened. They don't pray that, you know, God may remove them from the situation. Oh, I'm being persecuted. Oh, I'm going to be killed. They don't pray for any of that stuff. They get together, they do the right thing, they pray, but have a look at what they pray for. They say, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak the word of God with great boldness. They've just been put in jail. They've just had their lives threatened for speaking the word of God. What do they pray for? They pray that they would continue to speak the word of God, but with greater boldness. That's courage. That's amazing. That's what we need to do. We need to get on the front foot and say, God, despite the situation, help me. Give me boldness to stand up. Whether it's my neighbor, my university friends, my colleagues, whatever it may be. Grant me the boldness that I need to stand fast, to stand by my convictions. I tell you, the result will be exactly what happened with these guys. They continue to pray, stretch out your hand and heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. That is a God-honoring prayer. And they're the prayers that God answers. 
Isn't that amazing? The very thing that they're getting in trouble for. They're saying, God, this is, we're going out like this, then God make us bold. We might as well just go out fighting. You know? And that's what God will honor that prayer if you say it in faith. Persecution is inevitable. So I want to leave you with, with a couple of thoughts about it. It's going to happen. As I said at the start, as a joke at the start, it's going to happen. Um, you may just get mocked. You may just get teased a little bit. You may get ostracized a little bit. I don't know. You may lose your lives and everything in between. Anything happened. We're all going to face it at some, at some stage. Jesus, so I read you the scripture from uh, John 15. He actually promises persecution. He says, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. You will be persecuted. It's, not a, it's, it's a given. It's not a matter of when or if. Sorry, it's not a matter of if, but a matter of when. And our preparation is going to be vitally important. Our level of preparation will determine the level of glory that we give to God when persecution comes our way. Because we have a truth. We have a truth that's going to polarize us from people. We live in a pluralistic society where society says anything goes, we accept everything, we accept every God, every religion, every philosophy. But we have a truth that sets us apart from all that. We have a truth that will either make converts or will make friends. There's no level of neutrality here. You'll either make a convert or make a friend of your neighbor, of your school friends, and you've got to be prepared for that. So don't be alarmed. Don't think that you're a little bit strange or weird, that you're getting some level of persecution in your life. It's, it's, it's part of it. But what I want to encourage you to do is to actually confront it and respond to it biblically. Respond to it like this rebel Peter did. Respond to it with, with, uh, with perseverance, with focus, with perspective, with courage, with prayer. Respond to it like he did because we have an amazing truth. I just want to pray before we go. I just want to ask you to stand. I've spoken about this amazing truth that we have that can either make converts or can either make enemies. You have an opportunity today, tonight, right now, to become a friend of God. You've heard about Jesus. These are, this is the man, this is the God that these people gave their lives for. Jesus was the God, was the man that they stood up for, the man that they prayed for. It was in Jesus' name that they healed a lame man. It was because of the name of Jesus that they gave their lives. It was because of the name of Jesus that they stood up against the authorities and said, well, if it costs me my life, then so be it. It's because of what Jesus had done for them. Jesus who came and paid for their sins and paid for our sins. And said, whoever believes in me, anyone who puts their faith in me can be a part of me, can receive me, and I will live with them. And I will help them to live the life that I've called them to live. A life full of purpose, full of meaning, full of strength, full of courage, 
full of readiness for you to be able to face whatever you're going to face in your lives. This is the end of the message. Thank you for taking the time to listen. And God bless.